Welcome to the Dan Isard Show. Uncut and uncensored analysis from author and consultant Dan Isard. Brought to you by Funeral Radio. And now your host, Dan Isard. Hi. Welcome to the Dan Isard Show on FuneralRadio.com. I'm Dan Isard. And this show is intended to give you uncut and uncensored ideas, analysis, and discussion. Because that's the only way I'd want to be associated with it. As you tune in, turn on, and download this podcast, I want you to know a little bit about why you should trust us to listen to this every time we produce another one. The bottom line is, I don't want to waste your time, and I want to make you smarter every minute you give to me on this show. So therefore, we have put together a show that's going to do a number of things. Most importantly, it's going to make you smarter. If you're not familiar with me or any of my background, I'm the owner and founder of the Foresight Companies. Through the Foresight Companies, I've valued more than 2,200 funeral homes, 800 cemeteries, provided financial and management consulting to hundreds upon hundreds of funeral homes throughout North America and cemeteries. I've written four books and more than 300 articles. I've given more than 2,000 hours of speaking engagements to funeral groups and cemetery groups. In the 1990s, I formed a specialty lender to make loans to funeral homes and cemeteries. My firm also oversees a lot of human resource work, do opinion surveys for the top funeral homes in America. We do accounting, have been involved in over 500 mergers or acquisitions, and about 125 times I've been an expert witness on something related to funeral, cemetery, or some action within funeral service. So that's what I do for a living. In this show, however, you're going to be given fabulous entertainment because each podcast I'm going to have guest interviews with some of the top people in this business people that can help you and influence you to be the best that you can be. Each podcast, I'm going to raise topical points for your attention so that way you know how to deal with these. I'm going to take columns from my well-known Finance 101 monthly column in the Director Magazine and try to explain them to you in my voice, not just in the written word. Along the way, I'm going to hit you with some rants, because some things just tick me off, and when they do, I'm going to make sure you understand my point of view. Because if they make me angry, they should be making you angry as well. Along the way, we're going to have contributions from others as well. Regularly, I'm going to be incorporating something from Chris Raymond, the blogger for About.com's Death, Dying, and Grief. And I'll be prepared to answer your questions so that way you start to influence the way this show comes about. 
So if you give me 30 to 40 minutes, I'm going to give you the lessons of a lifetime to make you better at what you do. My first guest on our first podcast is a guy who has done so many different things in the funeral and cemetery world. My guest is Doug Gober. Currently, Doug is a uh, representative of Live Oak Bank, and I am honored to have him as my very first interview on the Dan Assard Show on FuneralRadio.com. Doug, why don't you give us a short background on all the myriad of things you've done leading up to today? Dan, uh, it's a it's a pleasure to be on your show, sir, and and I am uh, I'm honored to be the the first of of many, I'm sure. I uh, I've been very fortunate in, in my career in funeral service. I'm a CPA. I, I graduated uh, from the University of Alabama in accounting and became a CPA, uh, and was very quickly not very enamored by the idea of spending my entire life as an accountant. Uh, even though people told me I was good with numbers, it just didn't really fit with uh, who I was. I never also really had any indication that I would spend most of the rest of my life or all the rest of my life in funeral service. So since 1978, I have been involved in uh, funeral service in one way or another through the casket business. Uh, my partner and I, Alton Duty, uh had our own consulting business for four or five years. That business was sold to the York Group, who were then acquired by Matthews International. And so I've been fortunate enough to work with a lot of the major suppliers in funeral service, and I've always looked at funeral service from the outside in. But as you know, after a while, once you do this for a while, it becomes who you are, not what you do. And uh, and I don't do what funeral directors do, and I'm not a funeral director, but I have a tremendous admiration for who they are and what they do. And so... I've spent the last 35 years of my life trying to understand from the outside in how we can make this business better. And uh, I'm probably the luckiest guy you've ever met in funeral service. It was really through a bizarre set of circumstances, a bizarre series of events that I actually ended up interviewing with blindly with a gentleman who uh, turned out to be a gentleman by the name of Ken Camp, who eventually became the president of Batesville Casket. And at that time, um, was just a regional manager in the southeast, and I was interviewing for that job. And so uh, I've, I've been very fortunate. While I was in the interview, this is important to how things happen for a reason, while I was in the interview with Ken Camp discussing the possibility of going into the casket business, which at that time I thought was pretty crazy, my grandfather died during the two-hour period of time that I was talking to Ken. And so I immediately came out of that interview and went directly to uh, the family funeral home where the guy who ran that business insisted that I follow up on that, and one thing led to another, and here I am 35 years later. It, it's quite an interesting, uh, I'm the luckiest guy you've ever met in funeral service because I've been so fortunate to be around very, very smart people in this business all these years. Doug, in, in your joining Live Oak, I got to tell you, I thought that was the smartest move Live Oak could make because of the personal uh, goodwill that you have within this business and the number of people that know you. Suddenly, Live Oak went from being an unknown financial institution to being a very credible player because of their association with you. Tell me a little bit about what Live Oak does and what their 
their footprint in funeral service looks like? Live Oak is a very interesting banking operation. Dan, they they uh, they came out of uh, a, a, a vast array of experience in funeral and uh, in the banking business through a number of years, and with a focus on SBA lending. And so they started this new bank in 2007 with the intention of doing loans to veterinarians. They had relationships with the veterinary business in previous banking life, and we're going to do exclusively SBA lending for veterinarians. They've used that same model now to expand into the dentist business, the pharmacy business, the veterinary business, which they started with, and now funeral service in 2012 and investment advisors in 2013. So we only make loans to those five businesses. Very narrowly focused. It's exactly the opposite of what most bankers in the U.S. do, where they're trying to be all things to all people in a community bank or in a a branch of a large national bank. We do exactly the opposite. Not only are we very narrowly focused, we're very narrowly focused within those businesses where we're really only going after good, solid loans. And I will assure you the thing that attracted Live Oak Bank to funeral service was that almost all of their loans are good, solid loans. Uh, There's a uh, list published by SBA that lists all the businesses that they will do loans with. And there are uh, 1,800 or so businesses on that list. And as Live Oak Bank was thinking about expanding their offer into another area, they looked at that list and looked at, and they cut that list. SBA cuts that list in a lot of different ways. One of the ways they do it is by default ratio. The number one lowest default ratio of all 1,800 businesses listed is funeral service. So if you're blindly thinking about where to go to make more good loans, that might be a place to consider, and that's how that began. They began, they contacted several people in the industry that they'd had some, some, uh, crossover with in the past. Uh, Jerry Pullins being one of those, a former president of SCI and several other credible people in funeral service. And before you know it, uh, they're expanding into funeral service and they're looking for somebody to be the connection to the business. In our bank, in each of those areas that I mentioned, there is a person that in, internally, I don't want to publish this externally because it's not necessarily true, but internally they're known as domain experts, a person who's attached to that business. So we have a fourth-generation pharmacist that works for the bank. We have vets, veterinarians that work for our bank. And myself and Jerry Pullins are sort of the connection of uh, Live Oak Bank to funeral service. And so that was my attraction was that you're correct. I do know a lot of people in this business and uh, – have uh, spent my career trying to do everything I can to help it be better. I think that's been reasonably positively received in the marketplace. And uh, now we have the opportunity to make loans, uh, good loans, to good people who need transition, need uh, the guy in the next town's ready to sell his business. They need to transition it from one generation to another, uh, to refinance to get better terms and better cash flow in a revenue uh uh, a business that's actually been revenue challenged because of the increase in the cremation rate and uh, and those kind of things. So Live Oak Bank has, has begun to fill a real niche. 
reason I think it's important to recognize that this is a real opportunity is in our first year in the business, we did $54 million in funeral home loans in 2012. And then in 2013, we did $103 million in funeral home, closed funeral home loans in 2013. So there's obviously a, a need for the offer. And, um, again, I've been fortunate enough to be around some very smart people and to be involved with this is, is a real privilege. Before we go to break, I've asked one of my longtime friends who happens to have been the publisher of the NFDA's The Director Magazine for more than 10 years, Chris Raymond, to help us on this show to keep things interesting and find some useless information that only people in funeral service really care about. Chris Raymond today is the blogging director of About.com's expert on death and dying. In fact, you could find his blog online at dying, D-Y-I-N-G, dot about, dot com. So, Chris, please help us understand a challenging piece of trivia before we go off to commercial. Thanks, Dan. This episode's trivia question concerns the last words spoken by famous writers. This Scottish author died in 1937 after complaining, quote, I can't sleep. Can you name this author? Here's a hint for you. Ironically, the title character of this author's best-known story, Peter Pan, which first appeared as a stage play in 1904 and then as a novel in 1911, also had trouble sleeping. He visited the home of Wendy Darling at night so he could listen to her mother's bedtime stories. Eventually, this pair embarked on a series of adventures involving pirates, fairies, and a particularly nasty crocodile in Neverland. Think you know the name of the Scottish author whose last words were, I can't sleep? I'll give you the answer after this brief message from Dan's sponsors. This is your financial wake-up. If you own or manage a funeral home, you must attend Funeral Boot Camp. Hoo-ah! What is Funeral Boot Camp? It is a one-week intensive seminar that will give you all the tools you need to run your business better and increase your profit. This 40-hour seminar is led by Dan Assard and his team at the Foresight Companies. Be in Scottsdale, Arizona, March 17th to 21st. Call 800-426-0165. UPD Urns leads the industry with our unique collection of cremation urns and jewelry, offering an exclusive line, including the hand-painted Titan Brass Urn, the Peaceful Pillow Biodegradable Urn, and the Southwest Reku Urn, all priced under $100 with free shipping. So visit updurns.com slash funeral radio today and get 20% off your first order. UPD Urns, memorable cremation urns and jewelry for funeral homes. Welcome back. Before the break, Chris Raymond, About.com's expert on death and dying, asked us to name the Scottish author whose last words were, I can't sleep. Chris, I know it wasn't Scotty from Star Trek. Tell us who it was. Dan, the author, was J.M. Barry, who wrote Peter Pan. Most of us probably remember Disney's animated movie, Best, which celebrated its 60th anniversary last year. Thanks, Chris. That was great. To discover the last words spoken by other famous people, as well as other useful information about funerals, burials, and grief, please check out Chris's site at 
www.dying.about.com. More from Chris next week. This is Dan Assard, and I have with me Doug Gober from Live Oak and about a hundred other institutions before Doug joined Live Oak. I'm talking with Doug about the specific things that Live Oak does, as well as the whole concept of borrowing in funeral service today. So, Doug, bring me out uh, to a funeral home and give me an idea what the different things are that funeral homes borrow from Live Oak for. Dan, there are, there are basically five main areas that people use uh, our financing for. Number one is acquisition. Uh, and that can be uh, broken into two. It's uh, acquisition of a, of a place in the next town, or it could be children simply uh, purchasing the business from their parents. Uh, we might refer to that as succession planning, but in fact it is also an acquisition. Then we, uh, obviously, we, our, our number one area in addition to acquisition is refinance. Uh, the terms that are available in the open marketplace are not always the most favorable uh, terms for funeral homes. Uh, we very strongly believe that a long-term permanent business should get long-term permanent financing, and that's very difficult to acquire in the open marketplace, and so we find ourselves doing a lot of refinancing of existing debt for funeral homes. There are also the issues where we rarely do a refinance without doing something else, such as adding a crematory. That's the most popular. So if someone's going to do a renovation, uh, and rarely, by the way, do we have any one of these items included. We have a multiple of them. It may be someone who is refinancing their existing debt while they're buying the guy in the next town while they're adding a crematory to their existing business. So all of those things come under one loan, but they're all really three separate things. The expansion, the renovation, those kind of things, we can do that as well. And so those are the main, uh, our main focus, if you will, of the things that we do. Um, I'm, I'm curious, when, when your underwriters look at a financial need of a funeral home to borrow, what are the key points of, of determining the credit worthiness of that borrower and, and the loan itself? Dan, because we operate on a little different uh, mode than most conventional lending institutions, we are looking at basically, in its simplest terms, we're looking at two things. What is the credit worthiness of the borrower and what is the cash flow of the business and will the cash flow of the business support the debt that is to be incurred, either through one of those things I mentioned, acquisition, refinance, uh, the succession plan, adding the crematory, whatever it might be, does the cash flow of the business support the debt to be in- incurred, and what is the what is the credit position of the of the borrower? And when I say credit position, I'm not talking about their their financial strength. We're not looking at how much money the borrower has. We're only looking at whether they are a good credit risk or not. Many times uh, people don't place a lot of uh, credibility on their their credit score, but I can assure you at Live Oak Bank it's a big deal. We don't have a cutoff number. We'll listen to the story if someone has a less than desirable credit score, but the credit score and the credit worthiness of the borrower and the cash flow of the business are the two things that we're looking at. So when an underwriter 
And keep in mind, in our particular circumstance, this is an underwriter who does nothing but funeral home loans. She's not working on a, uh, even within our bank, our underwriters don't cross over. They're not working on vet loans in the morning and funeral home loans in the afternoon and a dental loan the next day. Even within Live Oak Bank, the people that I work with in, in death care only work on funeral home cemetery lending. And so when you do that, one of the challenges is that you get pretty good at knowing what to look for. If I did a dry cleaning loan in the morning and a convenience store in the afternoon and a manufacturing operation the next morning, I'm probably not going to be very skilled at asking detailed questions about those businesses. But our underwriters are asking very detailed questions about the funeral business. They understand pre-need. They understand things like the cremation rate. We know that in 2012, nationally, the death rate was down. So when we get financials that do the big dip in 2012, where the numbers don't look as good in 2012, we actually expect that. Where a local bank who's looking for that increasing revenue stream every year to show that the business, to verify that the business is doing well, uh, he might not even consider that loan when they get that that uh, that big drop in 2012, like many funeral homes nationally experienced. So our underwriters are very in tune with what's going on in funeral service. Now that's a real positive thing because we know everything that's going on in that business. However, it can be also a little bit of a negative thing from the standpoint that we're going to ask questions that no local banker would. And so we're going to get information that he might not get, and it may not always be exactly what we're looking for. There are also, of course, like any other underwriting uh, institution, any other banking institution with underwriting, looking at the global cash flow of the individual and those kind of things to make sure that, you know, this is a guaranteed loan. It's made on a business guaranteed by an individual. And the SBA allows us to do cash flow lending, which uh, – is another great advantage that we need to discuss. You know, Doug, I, I, in, in complete and total disclosure, uh, obviously our firm, uh, the Foresight Companies, has uh, had referral situations where we've referred clients uh, to uh, Live Oak, and, and uh, you have uh, agreed to make loans to uh, many of these clients. Um, the, the irony is that occasionally we'll see uh, one of your colleagues, which is a fancy word for competitor, uh, make a loan, very competitive. Maybe the client chooses to go with them. Uh, I've seen that many of their underwriters call us up, and they don't understand this business, and they start arguing with us about why the pre-need isn't on the uh, balance sheet as a liability uh, and so many things that are just elementary. It, and, uh, and, and experience just cuts them uh, to a shred, and, and you now realize these people don't know funeral loans. No, and it's very difficult. It, it's not. It's not even fair to expect them to. In many cases, if they're uh, if they're not an exclusive funeral home lender, uh, a conventional lender has two things going against him. Number one, he doesn't know the business, and number two, he's pretty much restricted to the value of the real estate. In conventional lending today. Most of the conventional lending is done on the basis of a certain percentage, a loan-to-value, of the value of the real estate component. 
And uh, so, so a conventional lender, I bring you a building worth a million dollars, and you're willing to loan me some percentage of that. Normally 70 or 80. As opposed to you guys, you certainly look at the tangible value of these assets, but the bigger component is what's the earnings of this business? What's the cash flow of this business? And what is it worth? Uh, right. So it, it, let me use an example to illustrate that. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm running a business in, in, in somewhere USA and the guy in the next town and I have kind of an, uh, a gentleman's agreement that if he ever decides to get out of that business, he's 20 years older than me, that I, that I'm going to buy the business. The business is worth $2 million. It's got a million dollars worth of real estate and a million dollars worth of the value of the business. It's really goodwill. And, and so I go to my local banker in the community where the first guy lives to borrow the money and the local banker is willing to loan me 80% of the value of that real estate, which is a million dollars to service a $2 million transaction. And good luck in coming up with that other 1.2 million. That's, that's sort of the mindset. So they're willing to loan me $800,000 to go buy a $2 million business. This is the reason we end up with too many 70-somethings owning businesses that they should have gotten out of 25 or 15 years ago because they can't figure out not only will they not, in some cases, they're not willing to let go, but they also can't figure out if they get the right buyer, they can't figure out how to finance it so that it makes sense for both parties. And that we can do. On that same transaction, depending on the equity in his existing business, we might finance that $2 million 100%. At the very worst, we would finance it at 75% of the entire $2 million transaction. And then if the seller is willing to hold a second position on that equity portion, as much as 25%, then we will count that as the buyer's equity. And that could also be a covenant not to compete. That's correct. Doug, you're making it sound pretty easy, and, and I have to tell you, based upon my experience, you guys do a very good job in reality to make it uh, easy uh, for someone to secure the uh, true uh, opportunity of their future. And in today's low-interest environment, it, it's very powerful. It just is uh-huh. never as easy as it seems. This is still a uh, 90 to 120-day process, you know, where – we're asking people to expose their entire lives to us financially, and um, and and that's it's and it's not what our borrower, our funeral director customer, does on a daily basis. This is not who he is. He's not a financial guy. That's the reason he hires somebody else to do that for him. And so this is foreign to him, and it and it can become an SBA is historically a very cumbersome, difficult process which we do make much simpler than it would be if you were dealing with somebody who didn't know how to do it. But nevertheless, it's still, uh, it's, a, it's a process. But it, it when, once it, I, uh, it's like that uh, old story of birthing a baby. Once you get that thing, it's awful in the, in the middle of it. But once it's in place, that, that, that kid is wonderful, and we're so glad we got him. I, I think that would probably be a, a reasonable explanation of how this happens for most of our funeral home borrowers. It's uh, it's difficult while you're going through it, but once it's in place, uh, Dan, I have a, a gentleman in the Midwest that we saved him $27,000 a month in his debt service. And we like each other a lot. 
<laughs> and then there are other, you know, much smaller examples, uh, small funeral homes out in the middle of Nowheresville that in most cases, most banks wouldn't touch it. And the only access they have is to that little local guy that they know, and then he can't finance the transaction from one generation to the other or whatever can happen. We're doing a lot of those, too. I, found, I do all the site visits for the bank. We believe that we shouldn't make a loan to somebody we haven't at least met once and seen their place. And so I do most of that work for the bank, and I can assure you I've been to some interesting places. Uh, you know, if my life would be much easier if they just built every funeral home in America right next to the airport. But it doesn't work like that, and it doesn't matter to us where they are. I'm a guy who uh, my kids are grown and have their own lives, and, and Vicki and I have a great relationship. And so if it's going to see somebody in the middle of nowhere, that's where I'm going. And uh, and we have done a lot of those loans that I don't believe in many of those cases any other banker would do. It doesn't mean we're going to do every one. One of the things I think is important from an underwriting standpoint, and most of the time this doesn't get it, get to the underwriters at this level, I think this is important. We probably turned down three of every four that we received. And so that that may be a testimony to the status of the financials in the business, uh, to the lack of attention that, that many people are giving those things in their lives. Uh, in many cases, our guys are great servants, but not always great financial people. And so uh, I think it's important that, we're not making every loan that comes across our desk, but we're certainly trying to. You're listening to Doug Gobert right now on the Dana Sard Show on FuneralRadio.com. Doug, one of the things that I'm trying to do as I build a format for this show is to ask all the people I interview, who I really believe are people that are knowledgeable and, and are vested in this business. I'm going to ask them all the exact same question. I'm going to ask you that question. I'm going to ask you uh, to give as pointed a response as you can. The question is this. What changes need to be made to the funeral business for it to survive in a profitable fashion into the future? Dan, I'm one of those people who believes the glass is half full. And I know that 25 years from now in our business, in the United States, someone is going to be caring for our dead. And so I do believe that this business has a future. And I believe to get there in a profitable way uh, and what changes need to be made, it's simply I believe we must change the entitlement culture of funeral service. Where funeral service has had this, we are on the, we're in the same spot we've always been. We've got the same number we've always had. And when somebody dies, we sort of expect you to call us. Today, in this marketplace, there are so many alternatives, just like there are in all of our other walks of life, for people to choose. And unless they understand the real importance of our offer, they may choose to go somewhere else. And the guy who believes he was entitled to that call, that was my family, is not going to get them anymore. We're seeing this happen already. And so like is uh, somewhat involved in, in some of our the rest of our country. Maybe funeral directors are leading that charge with this uh, with this feeling that we're entitled to the business. We don't earn, we don't have the business. 
Somebody else can take it away from us in a heartbeat over the Internet. Maybe somebody who doesn't even have a facility in our county or in our state. The business can go elsewhere today. And so we must change that mindset in the mind of every, not only owner, but every professional that says we need to earn every call we get. And the only way we're going to earn it is to do something that is more valuable to the consumer than what someone else is doing and have the consumer understand and be willing to pay for its value. And I believe that's the the big challenge. It's what I've been uh, preaching about for the last 10 years is how do we make those changes? It started in, well, for me, it started with merchandise. But beyond that, it got into methodology of encountering the consumer and what today's consumer is really wanting. Today's consumer wants to take care of their debt. They want to remember the, the person that they loved. Whether it was a cremation or a burial is immaterial. But those people who understand that we don't deserve the call, we earn the call, are going to be the ones who 10 years from now are winning. Doug, is there anything that you can specifically say someone's going to have to do to demonstrate to their public that they're worthy of earning that call? They're... they're the 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 basic thing we've done, Dan, is we've ignored our future by uh, focusing on our present. And that is that funeral guests are the opportunity for the future. Even if I don't believe in anything a current funeral home does, if somebody close to me or somebody I know in the community dies, I'm likely to still show up at a service that someone else may be having for their loved one. And so the ability of of the funeral home to communicate to funeral guests is the future opportunity. That has to be done with a combination of the change in the people, the place, and the process. The, the, the people have to be understanding that everyone who walks in that door is a future customer, potential. Number two, there has to be a facility that speaks to the way people want to remember their loved ones and the way they do things today. Food is going to become a more and more important part. And people don't want to go to their homes as much as they used to, uh, you know, after a funeral service. And so if we've got those kinds of unique facilities to, and there are guys out there doing this already. This is not pie in the sky. These are things that are, are occurring now. And so I think the specifics of being able to address the funeral guest. What are we doing to make sure they see something that they may want in the future? when they're sitting in our chapels and walking through our doors. And they haven't had a loss. I think the, the, the most interesting thing about funeral guests is about 70% of them don't even know the deceased. They have no grief because they don't know the deceased. They know a member of the family. They know the son. They worked with the son of the deceased. They've never met the dead guy. And so they don't have any grief. People are never more open to whatever you want their death care, your death care message to be to them than when they walk in your doors and evaluate your offer with no grief. And we tend to ignore those people. We don't give them good reasons when they're in our place to come back. Because when they're finished with one of those insert name here funerals that we occasionally have, do they actually get up and say, Boy, I'm glad that I was here, and I'm glad I came. And when it's my mom's time to come, 
this is what we're going to do. And so that's the kind of environment, the kind of people, the kind of place we've got to be establishing. And so I think if you stood in your front door and simply evaluated what it looks like would be a good start. (laughs) Doug, I have to thank you for being my first guest. Not only that, a fabulous guest. I love the explanation you gave us about Live Oak Bank. And for my listeners that want to see something tangible, there's a handout on Live Oak Bank on our website that you can download, a bio of Doug on the website, which you can download as well. And, uh, Doug, I'm going to uh, hold on to the tape on on your position on enhancements for the future, and uh, hopefully we both live long enough to see uh, that you were exactly correct. I Thank you so for being too, my yeah. first guest. I hope so, too. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Dan, and thanks so much for having me. When we come back from our commercial, we're going to have our first Finance 101 section dealing with how to create your pricing and evaluate your overhead so that it guarantees a profit. You're listening to The Dan Assard Show on FuneralRadio.com. This is Cindy Neely Spence, your host for Make Ceremony Matter More. On this program, I talk shop with life cycle celebrants about their experiences creating unique ceremonies. Our show demonstrates how end-of-life ceremonies can be different. It highlights unique approaches to meeting what many funeral industry clients are seeking. Please join us to learn how to make ceremony matter more for your clients, only on Funeral Radio. Now here's something we hope you'll really like. Finance. 101. Oh, fiddle, faddle. In my monthly column, as part of the NFDA's The Director magazine, I write the column called Finance 101. I found that the written word has power, but the spoken word has passion. So, I'd like to take some of those columns and incorporate it into these podcasts. This podcast, I'd like to start with one of the most important topics of all, which is setting your prices. Over the past 30 years, I've seen the financial statements on more than 2,000 funeral homes. Most of those funeral homes, in fact, almost all of them, set their prices incorrectly. The reason that we set our prices incorrectly is because when the Federal Trade Commission in 1984 made you go to itemized pricing, every funeral director took a wild-ass guess on setting their prices. Every year since 1984, those same funeral directors added a little bit to last year's prices based upon some factor that they thought was accurate. The factors were wrong. The subsequent factors added to it were wrong. And therefore, is there any reason to not totally understand and accept that the prices we have today on our general price list usually are wrong? Because wrong times wrong compounded over almost 30 years equals wrong. 
So I'm going to walk you through how it should be done. The first thing we have to do in setting prices is to make sure that we understand our overhead. Now, without understanding our overhead, any other part of the analysis is totally wrong. Many of you are so obstinate in wanting to be wrong that you do lazy things to be wrong. For example, you have an idiot as a competitor. The person is an absolute dolt in your eyes. But yet, you look at their pricing and say, I'm going to be $100 higher or $100 lower than them. Well, if that person's an idiot, why would you even use their pricing? Some of you try to do an analytical approach and you let your accountants do it. Well, we do accounting for a lot of funeral homes and I have to tell you that most accountants don't understand the funeral world. In fact, even those that do understand the world of funeral service generally see things in a very, very myopic sense. Step number one, establish your overhead. And then, once we have an accurate overhead, now we can make the proper assumptions, analytical assumptions, without prejudice, without fear, as to how our prices should be established. Now, most of you look at your overhead based upon your profit and loss statement, and that's a good beginning. It is certainly not the end all. Most of the expenses in your income statement are very accurate, but there are unfortunately some things that are not in your income statement. For example, principal and debt service. If you go out and borrow money, you're going to have interest and principal due to your lender. The principal is not deductible. Therefore, it's not on your profit and loss statement. When you go out to eat and you take a deduction for taking those people out to eat, a portion of that is not deductible. Therefore, it's not on your income statement or profit and loss statement. And by the way, income statement, profit and loss statement, tomato, tomato, potato, potato, levine, levine, they're the same thing. None of you are accounting for depreciation properly. For example, depreciation is a tax entry created to give you a tax benefit for reinvesting money back in your business. The reality is the depreciation is set by Congress. What you need to do is rather than treat depreciation as a deduction from your overhead, you need to add it to your overhead. Now, the best way to do it is not to pay attention to depreciation at all, but is to figure out what the true capital amounts are that you need to be reinvesting on your business. But depreciation right now is showing up as a negative to your overhead. And the reality is we need that to be a positive, increasing your overhead. Unfortunately, most of your profit and loss statements do not take into consideration taxes, and taxes are a part of your overhead. And the last error 
in determining overhead is profit. You don't determine profit. You don't add profit to your overhead. Now, you can determine what a fair profit can be analytically. In other words, if you had a million dollars in the bank, how much return would you expect in a very riskless, passive fashion? I don't know what that might be. 2%, 3%, 4%, 6%, 10%. I don't know what you think it should be. But that's one method of determining how much of a profit should be built into your overhead. Another is just to take a flat dollar amount. Gee, for doing all the things I do, I should get a salary plus a minimum And lastly, some people do it as a percentage of revenue. I'd like 2%, 3%, 5%, 10% to be my percentage of revenue that is going to be the equal amount of the minimum profit I should be able to get for running my business. So, to establish your overhead accurately, we have to know what your true expenses are, most of which is going to come from your profit and loss statement. Add back depreciation, because it truly is a capital expenditure. Add other non-deductible expenses. Add principal onto your uh, overhead. Taxes and whatever you think a fair and reasonable profit is. Add up all of those items and now you have your true operating overhead. Now, how do we wind up allocating that into your general price list? Well, for that, you're going to need to tune in and download our next podcast because that's going to be covered there. I'm Dan Assard, and you're listening to The Dan Assard Show. Uncut, uncensored, analytically correct. All from FuneralRadio.com. Well, I'm sorry to say, but that's the conclusion of The Dan Assard Show. My uncut, uncensored analysis for the funeral and cemetery world brought right to you through your iPhone. I want to thank this week's interviewee, Doug Gober from Live Oak Bank. I also want to thank Tyler Frazier, my executive producer, and Catherine Bellavo, my producer. Keep in mind that some of the comments Doug made or I made on my Funeral 101 segment have a handout which is included in our webpage, and you can download it from this segment webpage. As Woody Allen said, I'm not afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens. Thank you very much for listening, and if I offended you on this podcast, please tell your friends. You've been listening to The Dan Asar Show on FuneralRadio.com. <laughs>